maybe we can pray and uh, just pray that God helps me uh, clearly deliver what I want to share with you this morning. So, Lord, we thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, for this leadership. We thank you, Lord, for all the great things you are doing in this place and all the wonderful things you're going to be doing in the future. Uh, help me today to share clearly, concisely uh, what you want me to share and leave out the bits uh, that you don't want me to share and help us to grasp hold of the thing you're saying to us today. In your name we ask it. Amen. Fantastic. Okay, so um, we wanted to talk about the kingdom because we're about the kingdom, aren't we? We're about the kingdom. And uh, in my mind, over the last 25 years of leading pays, uh, we've had about 2,000 people or more on pays, and I've spent a lot of time mentoring and counseling some of them. And what I've noticed are there are patterns in people's lives, patterns, ways in which God develops us and helps us find direction in Him. So this morning and tonight, I'm going to be talking about two different kingdom patterns. And today we're going to be talking about summits. So I believe that God wants us to um, be something that we don't often talk about in church, uh, which is successful. Does successful have, success have two S's? Good. I have a slight problem with dyslexia, so that's good. So God wants us to be uh, successful. What does that look like, and how does God give us the faith to do the things that he has for us to do? Because we all have things that God has for us to do, Correct. Fantastic. You guys are good. Excellent. Good. Okay, so um, I want to bring a challenge. So um, uh, my wife and I, uh, the Foxy Lean, we have two sons. They're older now. Um, one's called Joel. He's 23 years old. And one's called Levi. Uh, he's 21. Um, Levi's always been a good boy. Uh, Joel's always been a good boy, but a little bit cheeky. And many, many years ago, um, when he was about, I don't know, I can't remember how old, seven, eight, nine, um, we went to the swimming baths together and he said to me, Dad, today's the day I think I could swim a whole length in the pool. I said, oh, that's great, son. That's wonderful. Fantastic. He said, Dad, I just need you to encourage me to do it. I said, okay, son. Well, how can I encourage you? Could you buy me an Xbox <laughs> if I do it? So I'm thinking, okay. So we negotiated a little bit. And then we decided he would get an older Xbox. But we said, okay. So he dives in the pool and he starts swimming. And he's doing pretty good. And about halfway, he starts struggling a little bit. He's like, Dad, Dad, it's really hard. Dad, it's really hard. So come on, son, you can do it. It's fantastic. You can do this. Dad, it's really difficult. Dad, I need more encouragement. <laughs> what do you mean? Like a, a, a football game for me, Xbox. I'm like, oh, okay, son, you can have a... Okay. So he finally gets to the end. So I, he's excited. I'm excited. I pick him up, grab him by the hand, rush him to the foxy Lynn, his mum, and say, hey, Lynn. Guess what, Lee, uh, guess what Joel's just done? He's just done a whole length in the pool. And Lynn looks at me and says, that's great, Paul. He's been able to do that for six months. <laughs> I look at Joel and he goes. So my challenge this morning is this. Are we pretending that we're going as far as we can when secretly we know we can go further in the things of God? Are we pretending we're going as far as we can, where in reality, there are greater things that God has for us. They're in our hearts, but we're just trying to ignore them right now. And how does God give us the faith for those things? So a, a pattern is something that's designed or used as a model for making things. And I believe God has a pattern for us 
to grow our faith. The psalmist says something really odd in the Psalms. He says this. This is from Psalm 30, verse 6 to 7. Uh, one of the modern translations puts it, puts it really well. When things were going great, I crowed, I've got it made. I'm God's favorite. He made me king of the mountain. Then you look the other way and I fell to pieces. Anybody ever felt like that? God wants us to be successful, but he has a strange way of showing it to us. So as far as success, and what I mean by success is not making money. I mean advancing the kingdom of God, doing the things that God has for us. You would think it would look like this, wouldn't you? That success would, would look like this. It'd be a straight line. It would just go, just go straight up. So if you're a pastor in a church or a leader of an organization, let's say a pastor in a church because we can all relate to that, then you know, success would look like you have 50 people this week and then 60 people come to church this week and then 70 the next week and 80 the next week and 90 the next week. Uh, if you're uh, in, the, in the kingdom and you're a business leader and you're applying kingdom principles to your business, you would think that, you know, we make a bit of money this week, this month, and a bit more next month, and a bit more, and it would look like this. In reality, success in the kingdom never, ever looks like this. It looks a bit more like this, it seems to me. It's, it's a series of highs and lows, isn't it? So um, success comes, it seems to me, when um, there's lots of ups and downs, but the highs get higher and the lows are not as low as they used to be. So if a church grows, you're always going to have good weeks and bad weeks as far as numbers are concerned. But maybe if you look back over two or three years, you realize what's a bad week this week was actually a good week four years ago. Does that make sense? Possibly. I don't know what's happening in the church here, but that's why I feel. So the question is, why, why is it like this? Why does, why does God give us these summit experiences? And why does he give us these valley experiences? I'm going to suggest something that's a little bit odd. I'm going to suggest that God grows our faith most on the summits, not in the valleys. Now, I know that sounds odd because most people would say, well, it's in the valleys that God does the work. It's in the valleys when things are going wrong. But here's the problem with that. When things are going bad, sure, we cling on to God. But what happens when things go good again? Uh, an American president once said this. If you want to test a man, make him a failure. But if you really want to test a man, make him a success. Uh, and I know people who've clinged on to God when things have gone bad. But the minute the bad thing's gone away, they've kind of become less enthusiastic about the things of God. Uh, and I think our real faith begins to show in the summits. And I believe that Peter was a great example of explaining why this happened. You see, what I've noticed about this is there are a lot of false summits. Do you know what I mean by false summit? Um, so first time I ever saw a mountain was in my early 20s. It was in Scotland and there were a group, group of us were going to go up this mountain. I looked at this mountain and I thought, you know what? This mountain doesn't look so high. So I practically ran up the mountain. I get to the top of the mountain. Everybody else is like, come on, hurry up. I get to the top of the mountain only to realize it was a false summit. That was the mountain up there. But from the base, I could only see a certain point, which I thought was the summit. 
And I think God shows us false summits all the time. Or at least we see false summits all of the time. Now this may be a bit odd, but it will make sense in a moment why I'm saying this. I think the perfect example of this is Peter. So um, if we uh, open our Bibles, what we see is we see Peter is someone who's done some uh, um, amazing things for God. Um, If you've got um, John chapter 12, can you open it please? John chapter 12. I'll read it if you don't want to open it, it's fine. So Peter has lots of ups and downs in his life. You can probably think of some of them perhaps. Uh, And Peter, uh, in this particular situation, he's become one of the disciples. He's probably the oldest of the disciples. He appears at certain places to be kind of like Jesus' right-hand man. And then at the height of Jesus' popularity, he's with Jesus walking into Jerusalem. And this is what it says in John 12, verse 12 to 13. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt? He's walking in, right-hand man of Jesus, and the whole of Jerusalem has turned up. They've got palm branches, which was the zealots' symbol of, of like the Messiah and, and rebellion and all sorts of things. And, and this is it. This is the moment. He's thinking, this is the pinnacle. Five days later, and he denied Jesus. Five days later, he was alone. Five days later, he probably felt like he knew nothing anymore. Five days later, and he was at rock bottom. Or was he? Was he actually closer to God's purposes for his life and understanding those purposes and having faith than he was when he was walking into Jerusalem? I think so. Because I think there's a purpose to the summit-shaped pathway that God takes us on. And I think it's the difference between um, what I would call quasi-faith and quantum faith. So many years ago, I was um, at a meal with a group of people, and they, they were all Christians, so they decided to say, to say grace. So a lady said, oh, we'll get Paul to say grace, because he's a, and she thought, oh, he's not a pastor, he's a, what is he? She went, he's a, he's a um, quasi-pastor, that's what she called me. He's a quasi-pastor. I thought, I have no idea what the word quasi means, so I looked it up. Quasi means this, almost, but not quite, partly or pretending. <laughs> I thought, well, that's, that's nice. So Peter, I believe, going into Jerusalem, had quasi-faith. He had faith for the wrong plan. He had faith for the wrong plan. And God took him up a mountain to show him it was the wrong plan. He got to where he thought he was supposed to be, only to find out it was a false summit. God has something greater for him. Later on, there's a very different story. So I've never been arrested in my life. Um, I've been um, thrown out of two countries. I underarmed, underarmed guard. I've um, been kicked out of a zoo in Germany. I've broken a train in Europe. I've been um, thrown against the side of a wall and frisked and spread eagled by the police. I once got barred from a pub I actually never went into in the first place, which is more difficult than you would think. 
but I've never been arrested, and yet God was. Jesus was arrested, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. The disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. So near, and yet so far. He gets into this special court, trying to get close to Jesus, who's been taken away from him. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire, warming himself, they asked him again, You're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, No, I am not. Have you ever tried to get closer to Jesus while at the same time denying him? Have you ever done that? I have. Tried to get closer to God, but at the same time denying him maybe elements of my life. He's he's desperately getting close to Jesus. All he had to say, because the high priest was looking for disciples, all he had to say is, yes, I'm one of his disciples. And immediately he would have gone straight to where Jesus was. Stood right next to him, shoulder to shoulder. But he said no. And you could say that at that moment, he was at rock bottom. The reality was, it was a bit more like this. He was at a very low point, actually probably more like this, a very low point, but that low point was higher than his previous higher high points because he was beginning to, to understand what God's plan really was. Does that make sense? And he's beginning to be given the faith to believe for the right plan, not the wrong plan. You know, on Pays, uh, we really believe there's no point having a great amount of faith for the wrong plan. Um, where I used to live was a really, really bad area. Um, I may have told this before, but there was a girl who was um, kidnapped, tortured uh, for a week, um, set on fire, burnt alive. Uh, when she died, all her teeth were taken out while she was alive so that the police couldn't recognize who she was. She managed to stay alive longer than people thought. You can find out the story on Wikipedia. The girl's name was Susan Capper. Um, happened next door to us. Um, she told people who the killers were. The killers, we knew the killers. Um, Lynn, my wife, uh, cut the killer's hair. She used to go to the, to the house. She moved some of the instruments. She recognized some of the instruments of torture because they were decorations on the house. Horrible, horrible, terrible, terrible thing. This girl went to a school with a 47% truancy rate. So one in two young people were missing school on an average day. Awful situation. So what the government did was they threw money at the situation. Um, the police moved in, put up a temporary police unit, and literally uh, half of the community moved out within a space of 48 hours because they were all criminals. It was, it was, so they tried to keep the good people in. So what they did was they threw money at it. They built a new playground. They fixed up some of the houses, including ours. The national papers called our four streets a ghetto of underprivileged underachievers. Did great for the house prices. It was an awful situation. They threw, I think it was eventually something like 16 million euros. It was a huge amount of money they threw in. Six years later, the place was so bad, they had to demolish the whole area. If you go back, all the houses are gone now. Six years after spending millions of euros, 
huge amount of faith for the completely wrong plan. If we don't change the eternal destiny and the hearts of young people, we can, we can paper over the surfaces, but that's where the issue is. And God sometimes, he has to show us what we think is success, only to reveal to us, that's not what success looks like. And then he wants to build faith for us in the true things that are successful. So what is quantum faith? In physics, quantum means the smallest quality, sorry, the smallest quantity of energy, the smallest discrete quantity. The size of our faith is something that only we're obsessed with. We talk about having greater faith, don't we? But Jesus believes in quantum faith. Listen to what he said. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. See, the goal of Jesus for you and I is not to do with the amount of our faith, but the assimilation of our faith. Rather than having a lot of faith for the wrong plan, he wants us to take us to a place where we can have even the smallest amount of faith for his plan. The question we say on page that we need to ask all the time is not, God, if I do this, will you bless me? It's, God, what are you doing and how do I bless you? When that is your question, you only need a small amount of faith. But if you have a small amount of faith to do the thing that God wants to do, it's going to blow away the huge amount of faith you might have for your dream. And I believe what this, this pattern is doing, and I, I see people go on this pattern all the time, it's God revealing to us that our success doesn't look like his success, that his success is special, that his success is different. So I want to give you just very quickly some practical thoughts on what to do if you're on a summit-shaped journey. Here's one thought. If you don't attempt the small peaks, you'll never get to the big ones. Here's some things that Peter did. He preached a sermon that led 3,000 people to join Jesus' mission. He wrote two epistles in the church that became books of the Bible. He founded the church in Antioch. He established a headquarters in Rome where he served as bishop. He presided over the first great council in Jerusalem in 49 AD. And he's now seen by some as the Prince of Apostles. And this is often preached, but it all started with the question, Peter, can I use your boat? What if it said no? And what is your boat right now? What is the little thing that you need a little bit of faith for in his plan that he's asking for you right now? Who knows where that will lead? 30 years ago, I got the opportunity to go into schools. It was a weird situation, actually, because uh, this guy said to me, um, I've got this, these six lessons to talk about Easter. Will you go in with me? He said, I just need a bit of help. I got there. The first lesson went really well. So the teacher said, um, hey, we've got too many kids want to do this. Can we split the assemblies up? Uh, uh, is that possible to do it twice? And this guy said, well, Paul will do one. I'm like, I've never done this before in my life. He said, don't worry, Paul. I'll give you all the material. So I said, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. We did the second week. The third week, he phoned me up and said, hey, Paul, I can't do the other four weeks. I, I, I've double booked myself. Can you do it? I'm like, I, I don't know what to do. But I had a choice. I had a choice. The choice was, do I step in the gap? 
Because if I wasn't going to do it, these kids were not going to hear the Easter message. Now, nowadays, sadly, in our society, I think what happens is people ask the question, is this my ministry? Well, I don't think Jesus cared whether it was my ministry or not. He needed someone to go and tell young people. So I said, yes, it led to pays. It was a small boat. But I did say yes to that small boat. Now, maybe there are other things I've said no to, and who knows what God could be doing through me. I just know this. If you don't attempt the small peaks, you won't get to the larger ones. You can't leapfrog God's commands. You can't say, well, that's a little thing, God. I'm going to ignore that right now. I'm going to wait until you give me something worthy of faith. He wants you to have a small faith for the small things because that's going to lead to bigger faith for the better things. Second thing, you have to go down one mountain to climb the next one. Kind of obvious, I know. But let me just point this out. Here's you, you stood on this mountain and you're thinking, this is what God's showing you. The biggest challenge is not climbing up this mountain, it's letting go of that mountain. And um, I think that's kind of a challenging thing. Um, Somebody once said, one half of knowing what you want is knowing what you must give up to get it. Um, so many, many years ago, over 15 years ago, uh, we were in England. I had a full preaching card. Everywhere I went, I could preach. Lots of people knew about me. I, I was always being booked to preach. It was great. I had a fantastic team I worked with. I was leading a church that was growing. Um, we were running pays. It was going great in Britain. And I'm thinking, hey, I'm on a mountain. This is fantastic. And then God kind of said, actually, if you move to America, this could become global. The problem with that was I had to step down from what I was already doing, which I loved. So I had to step down. I stopped being a church pastor and became a youth pastor, which some would say, I don't believe. Some would say is a lower thing. I actually don't believe that at all. But I did have to let go of my team. I went to America where nobody knew me. So I went from being a medium-sized fish in a small pond to a tiny fish in a gigantic pond. And basically, we had to start from scratch at 40 years old, which is strange because I'm only 35 now. But we, had to start, but we had to start from scratch at 40 years old. And for, for some of you, uh, and maybe for the church as a whole, that there are going to be things to let go in order to go to the next mountain. And it's difficult to do that. It's hard, I think, to do that. Let me just write something I wrote about in the book on this. The proactive decision to descend from one summit because you can see the potential of a higher summit in the distance is a key part to the process of faith assimilation. We are repeatedly forced to lose our personal benefits for the sake of a greater impact for the dreams of God. This repetition of the pattern gives us multiple choices and multiple chances to cut a new ravine in our hearts and minds. It is chupos. It is helping us build our spiritual brawn and muscle and our supernatural toughness. Um, occasionally I go to the gym. I know you can't tell, but occasionally I go to the gym. And the thing I've learned is muscle isn't just built when you push up. It's when you lower the, muscle, the weights as well. And sometimes the greatest faith is when you start to let things go. Third thought. Please don't feather the nest. Please don't feather the nest. Peter said to Jesus, so Peter, sorry, Peter's in that place where all these great people like Moses turn up and he's blown away. There's Jesus and there's Moses. Do you know the story? And they're all there. Yes, you're nodding. They're all there and, and he's, he's with these great leaders, great 
great heroes of the faith. And Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The problem is when we reach a summit, we can be tempted to build a nest. We often want to get our friends around us and establish ourselves in such a way that we stay where we've become comfortable. Some young lad, I was never there, but some young lad once turned up at a, um, at a minister's conference. Um, so I joke about this all the time. I'm Pentecostal. Boo. So uh, we, we turned up there. And what he said, he got up on stage, but I wasn't there. He got up on stage and said, why is it that you guys build huge churches and then send out the young people to start new ones when Paul and the other apostles build big churches put the young people in charge and they left to start again. Deadly science. Because that's what happened in the biblical model. But many of us as pastors, we build our ministries and we settle in. And then we send out others to start and pioneer. Well, actually, I've now, you, you build something, well, now you've got that experience to go and build again. And it's a wonderful thing. But the fact is, all of us attempted to feather the nest, to stay where we are and when we roost we rot when we roost we rot our faith begins to rot if you don't move off your mountain you might be blocking the path of someone else for some of you there are, there are things that you love to do and you become an expert and you need to disciple other people in that now you need to bring other people alongside you and show you them how to you can then go and do something different and put them in charge and help them and release them into things where they can make a difference for the kingdom as well. Nearly finished. Number four. Acknowledge that failure is also summit-shaped. So I was once um, closely connected with a church in England. And... Um, other side. <laughs> Thank you. And um, the church basically numerically was doing this. The highs were getting lower and lows were getting lower as well. And um, every so often in these moments, the pastor would sit down with me and say, Paul, you know, we probably need to do things differently. Paul, we probably need to start, and he would mention things they need to do. And I think, yes, 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 fantastic. Yes, they're the things that we need to do. And then something terrible would happen that Sunday. Someone would get saved. I know that sounds a horrible thing to say, doesn't it? Someone would get saved, or like a new family would come in. And we'd have this little, little, ooh. But the problem with that was it stopped us doing the things we needed to do. And so gradually, we, we just declined and declined. And, and sometimes we have to realize that sometimes failure looks like this. And, and for some of us, even for some of you, you know that your faith is declining. Maybe your passion is declining. Maybe it's time for, for something new. Maybe it's time for something different. For some um, facing the reality of failure might be the first step required for you to see eventual success. After all, if you notice a shadow, there's probably a mountain nearby. If you're in a shadow, there's probably a mountain nearby. 
It's a cool thought, isn't it? So I'm going to finish in a moment. Let me, let me just tell one, one more story and get you to just ponder something for a moment in a minute. So I like to tell this story. Um, it's a story of um, youth pastors tell a lot in England. And it's a story of a guy who's walking on the beach. You may have heard it. He's walking on the beach. And as he's walking on the beach, he's walking around and he suddenly sees all these starfish and they've been washed on the shore and they're all dying. And he sees this little boy and this little boy, there's like a million starfish on the beach. And he sees this little boy and he's picking up a starfish and he's throwing it into the, into the water. Picking up another one and throw it into the water. There's a million on, on the beach, but he's throwing one. So the man goes up to him and says, what are you doing? You're not going to make a difference. You know that, don't you? And the little boy says, no, that's true, but I'll make a difference to this one. And I'll make it a difference to this one. I hate the starfish story. I hate the starfish story so much. It speaks into the fact that we feel like it's okay as long as we're doing our bit. It makes us feel good. Well, I'm doing my bit. And that's great. There's a million starfish dying on the beach. There are huge amounts of young people dying without Christ. Huge amounts. And they're leaving the church in droves. Now, your church is doing something about it. But it's going to take more than your church. It's going to take more than a handful of hosts. It's going to take many of us uniting together to recognizing that nationally, our church is in decline when it comes to young people and we have to do something different. And here's most churches I'd be challenging, but with you guys, I want to encourage you. You're doing something different. You're doing something different. Thank you. And you're doing something that will model a different way of doing things to other people as well. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. All you guys that are, David, all the youth pastors, thank you guys. Thank you, hosts. You're doing something that's different. Praise God. As a church, you're doing something different. And God willing, we can stop the decline because we're in a shadow, but there's a mountain nearby. Revival could be just around the corner, couldn't it? Revival could be just around the corner, but we have to do things differently. And praise God, you guys are doing that. Now, some of you might be watching other people in the church doing something different. And maybe there's something for you that you could do that is different. And with that thought, I'll, I'll just finish on my last thought. Keep moving forward. As you keep moving ahead, you'll naturally move upwards. Remember, the pilgrimage is not to get to a particular mountain. It is to grow in the same type of faith that Jesus had for the same vision that he had as well. Let me just read something from history. Of the final days of the Apostle Peter in Rome, Joel wrote that Peter was cast into a terrible prison called the Mamertine. And for nine months in absolute darkness, he endured monstrous torture manacled to a post. In spite of all the suffering Peter was subjected to, he converted his jailers and 47 others to Christ. This is what I wrote. God takes us on a journey so that we will discover his true purposes and gain the faith to believe for them rather than the kind of faith we need for our personal dreams. False horizons blind you to success, but the summits never actually peak. There's always something greater. It seems you could say that Peter's life ended in a trough, manacled and tortured. But in reality, his trough was much higher than when he first walked into Jerusalem. 
He led people to the true Christ. He led people into the kingdom. He was leading people to the true purposes of God, not some kind of takeover from the Romans of Israel. So what's God calling you to? What's God calling you to? I wonder if you could just come out and play the guitar just, just gently for a moment. I, I want to do something where it's a little bit odd, but I'm just going to ask you to meditate on a picture. So most of you will have seen this picture before. Oh, there we go. Um, oh, sorry. Um, I'll come back to that in a minute. Most of you will have seen that picture, uh, this picture. You seen that picture? Um, um, about 20 years ago, somebody gave that picture. It's the first time I'd ever seen it. It's famous now. And said, um, hey, this picture reminds me of the Pays Leaders. You're doing something that's incredible height of faith. It's really natural to you, but it's inspiring to other people. I just thought it was really kind. And you look at this picture, and there's these guys. Check this picture out. It's a true picture. They're um, living, they're doing something very natural to them. They're eating their sandwiches, but it's inspiring, so inspiring that people have this on their business walls, don't they? Here's my question. In fact, I wrote the question down. What could you be doing that is natural to you, but at such a height of faith that it would inspire others? And just as we play, the, I'm going to show you a video in a minute, but as we play for, for two minutes, I'm going to ask you just to ponder on that as you look at this picture. What could you be doing as a, an individual that's natural to you? It's part of what you're gifted at. But rather than pretending to go as far as you could, like my son did, you do it to such a high level of faith, it inspires everyone who sees you. What could that be? Can I encourage you, if you, if you think of something, make a note of it. I'll give you two minutes. down or made a mental note of something which is great and uh, I, I'm going to pray for, for those of you that God dropped something on your heart in a minute. I'd like to just show you one video first. Um, so on Pays, um, obviously one thing we do is we're mentoring young people. So we produced a video. The video is a secular video. You can read between the lines. You know what our teams are doing. Um, uh, this video is about how you could maybe help fund the movement. Uh, by giving a life mentor. So we're looking for people, maybe there's five or ten people this morning who would consider sponsoring on a regular basis life mentors, helping us reach life mentors either in Australia or overseas. So I'm going to show you the video. If it's something you'd like to do, then at the back on the table over there, um, my wife will be there and Tony, the National Director of Australia. If you'd like to help sponsor life mentors, pays workers, in Australia, talk to Tony. If you'd like to help us reach young people around the world, like Africa and Asia and Pakistan, we're working right now, then talk to my wife and we'll give you an opportunity there to, to help. Let me just show you a video. It's called Give a Life Mentor. Thank you, guys.
Um, the fact that Cody gave me so much time and energy made me feel like I was worth something. I take you by the hand, I show you what I'm doing so that you get to see what it looks like. Then I get to watch while you while you do it, and eventually I get to go help someone else while you're doing it, and you even start teaching them. Eu fui para a escola um dia e de repente eu encontrei uma galera de verde. Consegui encontrar amigos de verdade, pessoas, pessoas legais que me levaram para um caminho, para um caminho legal. E hoje em dia, através deles, eu, eu tive motivação. While stocks and bonds might, um, might seem like they give a good investment, investing in people um, is the best investment that you can do. Olhei para eles e falei, não, eu quero, quero ser igual a eles, quero poder ajudar pessoas, quero poder é, fazer coisas boas. That's what we're hoping to do. And uh, maybe, maybe everybody in the room is, you're already at the height of faith as far as you're giving already. But maybe there's some of you, you could maybe just move a little bit further, go a little bit further. You could help us as we reach young people in Australia and around the world, as we transform their lives. We're not about building playgrounds. We're about changing the hearts and the eternal destinies of young people. And it takes a lot of faith. But it also takes a lot of finances to do that and maybe you can join with us. So, uh, Tony, the handsome Tony and the foxy Lynn are stood over there. Uh, if you want to help us overseas, maybe talk to Lynn. If you'd like to help us in Australia, talk to uh, Tony. That'd really, really help us and we'd really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening. Hope it's been encouragement to you. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it so much. I'm just going to pray for you guys and finish. Lord, I thank you for every one of, the, uh, every one of us who, who knows and made a note of the thing that we could do that's natural to us, but would be at such a level of faith, it would inspire others. I pray, Lord, that for those of us who have something dropped in our heart and mind, that we would act on that, I pray. Um, if there was something else in, in today's uh, worship or word or notices that challenged us, may we respond today, we pray. And we do pray, Lord, for, for those who would give for the purposes of reaching young people throughout the world. 
bless the guys here. Bless our partnership together, we pray. In the name of Jesus, may you advance your kingdom. Amen.